Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Roar, the podcast. In fact, we are rebranding from Bullyproof to Roar, the podcast, and this is our first episode. And the reason I'm doing this is just to realign everything in my business. So Roar, um, if you know me, um, you know, will know that's my brand, uh, Marilise de Villiers-Basson. I'm the founder and CEO of Roar, coaching and consulting. Roar is also my book uh, that I published at the end of 2019. You'll see at the back there a copy Um how to tame the bully inside and out. Um, and the reason we're rebranding as Roar is because essentially what I want this podcast to be all about is to share people's stories. You know, my whole brand is about people speaking their truth, having the courage to speak their truth. And I specifically chose Petra Belzebu today to be my guest because I couldn't think of anybody better to kick us off by sharing her truth, sharing her very vulnerable story, um, which she is now using to help many, many, many people. So Petra, welcome today. Thank you for having me. I didn't know it was the first one of the rebrand. Now I'm, I'm super privileged and honored. Thank you for having me. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so Petra, before we kick, uh, before we dive in, I want you just to tell us uh, what you do today. Of course, yes. So uh, I'm the CEO of a company that I started called PVL or Petravels Limited. Limited. Uh, we're, we're a small team, but growing exponentially, especially since uh, the, the changes going on in the world, all about focusing on mental health in businesses. So from strategy right through to reactive support, right through to training and courses. Uh, and so that's been a journey. And my background is psychotherapy, coaching, uh, youth work, a whole host of things uh, linked to the mental health theme. Fantastic. I think my view, and I'd love to hear yours, is that the next world pandemic, I think, is going to be a mental health crisis. I think we are walking into a mental health crisis if we're not already in one. Um, just based on the recent events of the last say 12 to 18 months. Um, what, are your, what are your views on that? Well, it's interesting because I've been in the mental health space for quite some time. So back um, quite a few years ago when I worked for Young Minds, which was a, a mental health charity working with around young people's mental health, we were already using this language. We were like, look at our young people and how the world is changing so rapidly, the rise of social media, you know, there's, there's documentaries about this just around the mental health crisis as we already foresaw it, throw in a pandemic. And certainly it has been exacerbated and um, businesses are taking the topic more seriously. So it was underground as a crisis, as people were struggling, you know, the statistics, you know, one in four people, but certainly if we look at new statistics based on isolation, uh, based on family struggles, divorce rates going up, all of these sorts of factors are um, heightening uh, the, the challenges around mental health. But then there may be an opportunity as well because more of us are being open about it because we're looking into each other's living rooms and bedrooms and all sorts, right? So there's been this opportunity as well for, for real open conversations. But I've seen a vast difference between how businesses and countries even are tackling the topic but I 100% agree with you. The problem was there already and it's been exaggerated and it will only get worse with the rise of burnout as well based on this like blending of work and home and all the rest of it. I absolutely want to pick up on the burnout theme. I think it's so prevalent. Um, hold that thought. I want to rewind and 
start with uh, your story and you telling us a little bit more about you and w- why you came to do what you do today. Well, for many of us in the mental health space, and you'll be aware of this as well, we're usually passionate and affected by this topic in a deeply personal way, uh, whether it's ourselves or people around us. And I've probably had all of the above. Uh, So definitely grew up in a very alternative setting, uh, grew up in communes, grew up in Brazil, India, Kenya, Russia, sort of all over the place uh, with loads and loads of people. Um, And at the beginning, I think there was lots of uh, idealism and my parents joined it because they wanted to sort of rebel against the church system and sort of the rules and regulations around that. You know, all of these things came out of the hippie era, didn't they? Um, But over time, it did get a little bit dark. I'd, I'd class it more as a religious cult, something that became quite manipulative in its rules and thinking. And I didn't go to school as a kid. So my parents were like, and the whole community was like, the school of life is the most important thing. And also we were raised always thinking the end of the world was around the corner. So cue the pandemic. And I'm a bit like, "Eh, I've sort of been preparing for this my whole life. (laughs) Talk about resilience, right? Whereas others were like, what's happening? Uh, And I think there there was something sort of in my blood around, well, the world's always got something going on, right? Mm. Um, But this led to a really dark time in my life when I just was lost. I tried to leave. There was this middle ground of wearing the mask of uh, playing by the rules and actually rising in the ranks a bit within the community as I got older. And then this double life of hedonism, escapism, alcohol addiction, all sorts of things, right? And as we know, when we lead these double lives, eventually it comes to a head, right? So I was dating somebody outside of the community and fell pregnant with my son. Uh, and he said, move to London. So I, I came over here pregnant, uh, trying to create a normal life, tried to find the most normal person I could, whatever that means, right? Um, and it led me to imagine living with people your whole life and then coming into a flat in London, which is already quite isolated because mm-hmm. people stick to their own thing. My mm-hmm. boyfriend would go to work and I'd sit there with this kid and just be like, what has like, what my life come to? And as, as flawed as my upbringing was, we were always taught that we were special. We were supposed to save the world. We had this mission and purpose and all of that had disappeared. So I descended into um, depression, uh, increased alcohol addiction. I had a second child and it just spiraled and got worse and worse and worse until I was thinking about suicide every day, thinking, how do I get out of this? And what people don't realize is because they're like, but you had kids and you had this and you had a car and you had this, right? They, they judge it by the outside, but it's about the inside. And I had convinced myself that my own children would be better off without me. Like that's how, how your brain sort of skews things at the time. So through several rock bottom moments, I know we don't have that much time. Uh, I then uh, decided to turn my life around, but this isn't, these are never overnight switches, right? You go, there's got to be another way. And then comes the real work the daily waking up, being brave, teaching yourself. I went to night school. I got my master's degree actually while working full time, raising two kids and quit drinking, was going to Alcoholics Anonymous for a while and those slow building blocks. Now my son is turning 18 this year, uh, later in November and my life couldn't be more different. But uh, but, that's why I love what you do as well because it's those small steps, right? Of challenging that thinking in your head that can radically change the the direction of your life. Absolutely. And I love what you've said about waking up every day and being brave. It is genuinely about being brave. And 
especially when you have, um, I call it the inner bully, as you know, um, people call it the inner villain, the inner critic, but essentially that voice inside your head, which was telling you, you know, your kids will be better off without you. That's only a part of you and being able to silence that voice and to be able to amplify the empowering, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the higher self, the, the, the higher version of you, um, I think, uh, takes daily action, those little steps that you've mentioned. And of course, we all know that whenever we develop, it's that sort of next level new devil. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. Oh, my oh, goodness. Now I'm a CEO and I'm like, what? There's new things that I have yes. to contend with, right? <laughs> and I can totally relate with that. And I, and I know, I think when you say, you know, this doesn't go away, um, as someone who um, suffered from eating disorders, um, you know, different addictions, same thing, I think. Um, it's really at the end of the day, how we manage that and, and really the, the, the continuous management of it. And, and over time, um, you, you evolve into, uh, into the new identity that you want to create for yourself. And I know within our, um, my whole self community, so Petra and I are also um, you know, colleagues in a, a, a company called My Whole Self with Thomas. And, um, you know, we... Um, we have shared openly, you know, about our own struggles over the last 12 months, you know, in our community, because we have all had yeah. our dark days, haven't we? For sure. For sure. And I think people really like this black and white story. Hollywood likes it. Disney likes it. You know, it was tough. The hero's journey, the happy ending. And that's how the, the movie ends or the show ends. Right. And so it's almost imprinted in our mind that if we want to change that it's that quick or that sudden or like, you know, an epiphany and now our life becomes easy or different when actually it's those small steps that keep going every day. I mean, I will say certain parts get easier. Like I do not have a suicidal voice in my head anymore. I don't have a voice in my head saying you're worthless. You should end things. There's no point. I don't have that voice anymore. Right. Um, uh, what I do have is the temptation for addiction. Uh, when feelings become too much to go to sugar, to go to caffeine, to go, you know, to go to other things that are less healthy, that's the human condition, right? Mm -hmm. um, but my voice, I can, I've taught myself to override that and look at, you know, gratitude, opportunity, what is possible. But doesn't it help that when you get a track record of like, oh, I did that and I did that and I didn't die and something happened and I met this great connection, you start stacking up evidence for why bravery works. Whereas the beginning, it's just like, I'm going to die, <laughs> right? It's just like this big risk. I love that. And I think for me, by motto, I think the biggest lesson I say to people that I've learned over the last, at least the last 18 months um, has been that, that evidence you mentioned of when you take action, you see a result. So this thing about um, massive, messy, imperfect action, I keep saying that because oh, I, I, that. Like, I do that every day now, even if it's imperfect i think the imperfect piece is the important piece because if we wait until we know it all and we have all the capabilities you know we will we'll never do it we'll procrastinate forever and it's that sort of go in experiment have a go and and learn it's the learning that you get from from your daily actions isn't it i couldn't agree more and at the beginning you don't see immediate results it doesn't feel like it you just get through the day. You know, that one day at a time uh, message from, from Alcoholics Anonymous is like, my brave act is to listen to some meditation. My brave act is to talk to one person. My brave act is to get out of my house and go for a walk. Small, like small, 
And so you're like, my result is I got to bed sober and I didn't get into a fight or yell at my kids or, you know, small. Um, and over time, those things, of course, they, they become bigger results. But it, but it isn't just the result from over here. It's the stacking of practice for those years and years and years, right? I love that stacking. I think that's and, and, and recognizing it takes time. You know, um, there is no quick fix. There is no silver bullets. And I think it doesn't have to necessarily be an addiction. I think in our day to day, even if you have a fairly normal life, you know, stress is a normal part of our daily lives. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment. It's like a doorstop. It's so thick, but it's called uh, Full Catastrophe Living. Oh, I love it's it. A book by John Kabat-Zinn. And I've started doing some of his uh, meditations. It's all based on um, uh, mindfulness and um, it's called... Um, the mindfulness-based stress response. So it really yeah. helps you to deal with daily stresses in life and it, it helps you to be more present and in the moment. And exactly what you say, um, Petra, about um, the little things and the small things and living from moment to moment and having that gratitude, that mindset of sufficiency, I guess. Absolutely. And um, you're talking about stress and the stacking of things. And just to circle back to that burnout point, like burnout is the stacking of stress that isn't released over time, right? So it isn't, again, an immediate thing. So when we turn to whatever we turn to that's unhealthy or we get so bogged down in a work or a personal stress, all the things that stack together. And this is why there's more risk of it now is because we also have the stacking of the pandemic, isolation, what's the new normal, uncertainty, as well as our divorce, our kid parenting, our, the, the things that would have been in our life anyway. So we've got, if we, 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 and we're sedentary, we're sitting on our ass all day in our living rooms, you know, and have to consciously think about movement, whereas before it would have been sort of natural to, to move. So it's, it's worth noting that um, things stack in general, and, but we have some autonomy, but we have to be able to reflect, be self-aware, um, self-critical in a useful way. Because I think there's a there's it's two sides of the same coin. It's like there's self-critical, like you're worthless, you can't do anything. And then there's like, hey, what can I learn from this? Yes. What am I not doing? What's in my control? What's in a, yes. what what can I do? So there's two sides. I don't know what you think about that. Absolutely love that. I think the the, the key that you've just mentioned there is in the what what do I can what can I control? Yeah. And and being able to distinguish between what's within your control and what's not within your control because I think often the stress comes from trying to control situations, people, yes. timing, things that we just have absolutely no control over. And I think that's also takes, the human condition. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it takes so much headspace, doesn't it, when you're thinking, how, what are all the things that, that we can control? Now, I've got um, PTSD, and some of the, sometimes the way that shows up is controlling because it's like, mm -hmm. let me mitigate any risk, right? Let me make sure that this, 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 and this is okay so that I can feel okay on the inside. And people don't often get, like, mental health issues sometimes come out in behaviors that you're like, huh, Right. Um, you know, when my daughter's feeling anxious, she's often a bit mean, you know, because she's like, why can't you do the wah, wah, you know, and I'm like, oh, she's nervous because she's by herself on the train, or she's, she's anxious because a friendship thing has gone on. So it's like, we've got to look underneath the iceberg, right? We've got the iceberg on top. What do we see at the moment? We see conflict, we see polarized views, we see extreme politics, fundamentalism, all these things, fear-based, fear-based, anxiety-based, right? And it's like, we got to look what's underneath that iceberg of like fear, hurt, humanity, addiction, you know, all of the other trauma, all of these things. 
that are coming out in reactions. And that's probably been a superpower for mine over time is to listen for what is underneath that immediate sort of thing. And I think we're seeing more of that now in our leaders, in our, um, in our employees, in our kids, and you know, this, this conflict. And w- no wonder that's a stacking effect for burnout as well. But like we can be brave to slow down and look beneath and communicate from a place of integrity. Those are some of the tactics, I guess. Amazing. And uh, I think you've, you've again um, prompted a thought for me around a recent book that was published by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry. And it's called What Happens to You. And it's, it's exactly what you've just said. You know, the behavior, it's not what's wrong with your daughter. Um, it's what's happened to trigger that behavior. And so what's happened to you? It's, it's the important question that we should be asking, not the why is she playing up? What's wrong with her? Because that's, that's never the case, is it? Well, yeah, really, I like um, really Bre- Brené Brown says, um, I wonder what kind of day she's having. Like, I wonder what kind Love of that. day they're having. That, that. That brought, so, it, so you get yeah. that angry boss or you get that stressed out person in your meeting. And that's my thought is like, oh, I wonder what kind of day they've had. Have they had a fight with their partner this morning? Have they, you know, it's like a them thing. But yeah. we, but when, when it's the opposite, like you talk about in, in your book, it's like we internalize all of these things. Yeah. Anything that's a little bit negative, we're like, what did I do wrong? What have I, what, you know, and we add it as fuel to that negative exactly. voice in our head, right? Exactly. But it's like, if you understand that everyone has a story that they're playing out in, in your room, then you're like, okay, this isn't personal. And you can be curious and just be, and I've always loved people and I grew up in communes and I grew up in other countries. Uh, So that's always just sparked that like, hmm, I wonder what conditioning they've had or expectations or modeling of behavior by parents, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just a totally different spin on how we see the world. Yeah, I love it. My my friend, I have a friend who always says, be curious, not furious. <laughs> I love Perfect. that. <laughs> exactly. Because otherwise we react. And if we're in a fight or flight, like reactive zone, which is what the pandemic is doing for many of us, it's like oh, uncertainty, survival, right? Um, then it skews how we are able to do that. So I love that you're doing the mindfulness. It's like anything that brings us into the present and goes, oh, allows us to then ask those questions and be curious. Because if we're reactive, it's hard to ask those questions. Absolutely. So I, um, I really um, want to explore the burnouts. I love how you defined the burnout earlier about the stacking of the different types of stress. And if you don't release that, you know, that's what sort of leads to the burnouts. Um, particularly in the workplace, you know, when, when people, because that's where we experience a lot of our stress. And I mean, workplace today isn't the traditional. We're in the office. We know workplaces some people's bedroom and they don't have that separation anymore i mean that in itself adds a lot of anxiety stress just uh you know the the, the fatigue i think stress factors is incredible too what are some of the signs you know to look out for so i'm i'm in a, I'm, I'm kind of in a bad place i'm listening to this podcast um yeah i think i might have burnout what are some of the signs that i should look out for Um, So I like, there's a definition by a dude called Herbert Freudenberger from 1975. There's many more nuanced definitions since then, but I quite like using this in in my um, workshops. Uh, There's um, emotional exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. There's um, reduced empathy and caring, which we just talked about a little bit. Uh, And finally, what's the last one? Feeling that nothing you do makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So this sense of futility is the word that they use. 
So those are the three key kind of maybe early warning signs. Uh, so, so if you're like, um, maybe, you're, maybe you're performing well at work, but your reduced empathy and caring comes because you're swearing at the guy on the road or you're um, you know, frustrated with your kids and just telling them to be quiet. And you know, it can come out in other ways. People often think that you're gonna see them immediately at work and work is often the last place that you, these, some of these things are gonna come up because we're good at the mask. My work performance hat doesn't mean the stuff isn't bubbling under the surface. Um, so those are the three key symptoms. And interestingly, when we poll globally businesses and when, you know, sort of when we do webinars or keynotes, um, uh, we'll do like, are you experiencing any of these? And then is it all of the above or none of the above? And the majority are in the all of the above section every single time, no matter what industry we're in. And so that says something about the times that we're in. And if these are the early warning signs, what is the next 12 to 18 months going to look like for the workforce, mm. right? If we don't open up honest conversations, really understand. I mean, my team, we know everything about each other. And so we can, we can just check in like, you know, eye contact was different or they were like little tiny details. And one of us, and it doesn't just have to be me because everyone's empowered to check in. is like, oh, hey, what kind of day are you having? Or we will ask each other, how are you investing in yourself today? And we'll check in on each other. So there's like this positive accountability. But you would be surprised like how many businesses are like, how do I even ask the question? That's the basic level that we sometimes have to come in at. And we're like, hmm, I have a slide that has actual questions that are not, how are you? Other ones that are creative and curious. And people will, will especially leaders will say, that was the slide, I've saved it. Like, those are the questions I'm practicing. Because mm -hmm. people just don't have the, the knowledge or the skills. Mm -hmm. and, and, and courage, essentially, to be vulnerable. Um, yes. Because you, you know, often I think leaders have this persona to maintain and of I'm strong, I know it all. And I mean, we know the best leaders are the ones that put their hands up and say, I don't have all the answers. I also have bad days. It's okay yeah. not to be okay. All that, all those amazing things. Wow, 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 wow. You know, I, I reflect on what you're saying. You've, you've kind of mentioned early warning signs. I think for me, I was kind of getting to the point. I mean, this is over a period of four years. So my, what, what sort of led to my decision where I realized this, is, this can no longer go on um, was really my body was begging me to stop, right? So physiologically, I was getting anxiety attacks every day. And, and um, my, mine was mostly prompted by a bully in the workplace. So every time walking past this person's office in the mornings because I had to walk past his office every morning to get to my desk even before I was in the office there was a particular point on my journey walking to the office where I was beginning to really feel the panic like the shortness of breath and my body was just anticipating walking past his office and yeah you know, I, I realized um, I realized something was off and I carried on for another six months, believe it or not. I um, believe it because because we are we have habits and we, we have expectations. So we're like, well, I can't just quit my job or ask for something or, you know, it's not in our makeup. It's like this old school way of work is you put up and sh shut up. You know, you, you, you show up and do your work and whoever's in charge, don't shake, don't rock the boat. You know, it's like an old uh, conditioning that many of us have. So I'm not surprised that you waited another six months, but I love that you're bringing up the point of our physical body reaction. Mm. And so many of us are so disconnected from that constant shortness of breath, right? 
constant aches and pains and we don't connect it to what our environment is like or what the influences are and, and sort of power struggles are like around us. We just go, this is a me problem. I need to work on my mental health alone. And you're like, yeah, but you're in a system, you're in an environment. So it's mm-hmm. like all of these factors play a part in your mental health. And, and it isn't just work on your resilience, which is what many companies do. Can you do a resilience session? We're going, we're being acquired and going through a restructure and tell our people to be more resilient. And you're thinking, oh my God, that's not going to go down well, right? So we have to think about all those factors. So what did you end up doing? Well, I end up, well, first of all, that resilience point really resonates because I, I thought I was being resilience, a resilience, you know? So I thought that by keeping, keep, uh, the fact, that the fact that I kept going made me one of the most resilient people on the planet. I was like priding myself to be so resilient. Until you're not. Until you're not, until you literally just crash and burn, right? Um, I, I quit. I had to quit. I had to get out of the environment, Petra. And I think that's the, the, the thing you've got to recognize when an environment is toxic, when environment is, because there's, 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 there's an element of you being resilient and taking personal accountability, but at the end of the day, there's also the employer and the their responsibility to, to look after you and to care for you. And, and I guess that brings me to the next, or maybe almost the final question, because I mean, I can carry on all day having yeah. this conversation with you, but around whose responsibility is this, you know, so in, in a work setting in particular, you know, your employer or your responsibility? Always both. So, um, and it's interesting when you ask the employer, they'll say it's them. And when you ask them, they'll say it's the employer, right? So it's like, hmm. Um, The way it works the best is when both parties take responsibility. So we help businesses think about their mental health strategy, their resources, their policies, like what is the structure? What is the permission you're giving to people around the topic of mental health? That's crucial to build a culture that acknowledges it and supports people. And you can have companies that put all the resources out there, but it doesn't feel psychologically safe because they don't actually talk about this stuff. It's just like, it's on the internet and it's a benefit and this stuff. So individuals need to take personal responsibility to ask for what they need, to practice self-awareness, to access the resources, to call their EAP, to do the, you know, to, to, to work on themselves. And then you need this middle ground of communication Mm-hmm. and connection and so where that leader says hey i called the number or i accessed the support and this was my journey you know that gives permission and empowers the people to do the same right mm-hmm. so it has to be both and anybody who thinks it's a them problem or it's that department or it's this thing like always start with you what are you doing are you challenging stigma are you looking after yourself are you leading by example and so in our leadership courses that's where we start it's like the core essence is not what you say, you're a parent. It's not just what we say, it's what we do, right? Because our kids will be like, well, you didn't do that thing. And you're like, ah, oh. you know, <laughs> just do what I'm saying. Uh, but you never do it. Uh, so it's a similar thing in the workplace. Mm. And the communication elements, you know, that I think that's why Roar exists today is that um, breakdown in communication, because as a as a victim, as a target, I, I wasn't necessarily speaking up. I wasn't speaking my truth. I wasn't saying how I felt. So I had to take personal responsibility. I had to get honest about the fact that I, I didn't do that. But then at the same time, how would you do that if you're working with a tyrant? You know, if you are working with a control and command, really fierce, very 
very um, narcissistic individual, how do you actually do that? So the, the leader creating that safe, psychologically safe environment where people feel brave enough to actually say how they feel and to say when they're not okay. I think is, is incredibly important. So I love that. I mean, I was like the other day in a, in a session and someone sort of asked the question, whose responsibility is it? And I'm like, it's both. It has to be both. Um, Petra, thank you so much. I love this conversation. And I think there is there's so much more I want to ask you and explore, which I will do anyway. Maybe we need a part two to this, maybe in a few months time. Well, definitely, if you would, if you would. I'll be back, <laughs> no problem at all. I'd love that. Um, tell people where they can, they can reach you. Of course, well, um, LinkedIn is my favorite platform ever. So if you want to engage, see some of my content, chat with me, come to LinkedIn, which is just my name, Petra Belzebor. And then our website is petrabelzebor.com. Uh, so, so that's where you can see all about our training products and uh, you know other stuff that we do to help create change in businesses. Wonderful. I mean, thank you so much. And um, everybody listening, watching, um, if you are in a tough spot at the moment, you know, first, first point of call, uh, reach out to someone that you feel comfortable speaking to, reach out to Petra, reach out to myself. Um, we're all in this together. I think the world is, is in this together for once. We, we all have some sort of empathy and understanding for what other people are going through. There was like this COVID has been a real leveler, hasn't it? Um, so yeah, join um, in. And then again, if you, um, if you love the conversation today, we'll have plenty more of these, you know, where people come, come on Roar, the podcast and share their personal stories, uh, their vulnerable stories. Um, showing courage in being vulnerable, um, as Brené Brown says. Um, so yeah, if you liked it, subscribe, share it with your friends. Um, and yeah, see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Petra.